Welcome to a Revival House Sermon, where we champion you to become the unveiling of Jesus to this world. You know, here of late, that God has been emphasizing the, His presence and, and really the Lordship of Holy Spirit. And I, I'll say it like this, is that we, we, hopefully we know this, maybe, is that it is very hard to disciple people on just, you know, church services, right? It, it doesn't really happen, honestly. It's just the honest-to-God thing. Like, studies show it, just relationships with people show it. You should, that... You know, if you really want to get in the nitty and the gritty and the relationships of people and the discipling, discipling literally means to walk alongside with somebody, right? And when we, you come into a place like this, it, it's, it's, you're in a different place. You have your own things. You can't really disciple people. That's, this is really not the place for discipling, but a lot of times we use church in a way that we think it's for discipleship. And so it doesn't work very good. It doesn't work very good. And we go, you know, and many people will say, oh, well, you know, it's for, you know, for the word and all this stuff like that. But you can get that anywhere. But, but as I've been in this place, you know, his word says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. And I told Desiree, I said, as this idea is developing more in me, the, one of the experiences I had from this is even within a very short period of time of when I said, okay, all I'm going to do is seek your kingdom. Only your kingdom, your kingdom first. I don't need anything from you. I don't need you to empower me to do what I think I want to do. I just want to seek you for what you want to do. I'm going to seek your kingdom and put you first, that you are Lord of everything else that I have. You're number one and everything else comes below it. We got a lot, a lot of times we put Holy Spirit at like number five and all these other things. And we just kind of want him to like help us do those things. But I'm going, no, I want you to be number one. It says that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So it's actually, it's him. And I'm going, oh, okay. And, and in that place of saying, you're the only thing, your presence, your reality, your person, that's the only thing. All these other things just started to pop off, just started to happen that I had been seeking and pursuing and wanting to see happen myself. But they weren't happening. But when I said, I'm going to put the kingdom first, all of those things started to happen. And it was like, oh, well, maybe instead of coming together for church or whatever we call it, and, and wanting to do the, what I want to do and, and seeking these things, I actually make this a place of kingdom. And make this a place where you actually encounter the person and the government of the kingdom of God in this place where it's the only thing. And that that place in, up for Sunday as we call it, whenever it is, that that place actually is the igniting force of everything else that happens throughout the week. That is, it is not the only place that it happens, but it is like the supercharge of it. And because I gave the analogy, I said, you know, it's like, in your own prayer closets, in your own prayer times, and in your own space, you step into a reality, you step into a relationship, and you step into your, uh, a, a dynamic that you live in. And it's like 
I don't know why I used this. It might not be a good analogy, but I'm going to use it anyways, just because it's the first thing that popped in my head. But it was that you're in, your, you're in a boat, and it's your own personal boat, right? It's not a huge boat. It's just your personal boat. This is your prayer life. This is your place with him. This is, this is the way you're still floating on the water. You're still doing things. You can still do all this stuff. But then when you come into this place, because people and leaders have laid their lives down as a sacrifice for his presence to come and that his kingdom would be built in this place, that it is when you walk in, it is like stepping onto a battleship, right? You're still floating on the water. You're still doing all the same boat things, but this time you realize there's something more and there's something bigger. Many people have different jobs. Many people have different roles, but we're all on the boat together. It's still in the presence and the reality and the kingdom of God. And what I, what I mean by that is, is that we would create an atmosphere that you would step into every week that would be so radical that you would say, I want that every single day of my life. And I want, you know, I may have a little bubble that I live in, but then I step into this giant dome of the presence of God that has been paid for by the prayers of people saying, come in this place and have your kingdom that you suddenly say, I need to grow. And then through the rest of the week, it begins to fire off in your groups and in your life and in your own studies because you've encountered the kingdom and the presence of God. And, I, and as I've been shifting this, my, my very rubber meets the road for you to understand when you step into the place, what your role is and what you should be focusing on is that for so often we have worship and you know the presence of God comes in and we go, well, that's great. And then we stop the presence of God. And we say, well, now it's time to teach or preach or whatever it is you want to call it. And then maybe we pray and maybe ministry happens and his presence comes back or whatever. And I'm going, that doesn't make any sense to me. It should be that you walk into this place and we say, okay, this is your house. This is your kingdom. This is your presence. This is your place. And that's our only focus for tonight. It is only kingdom. It is only you. And so when we come in is that his presence would be in worship and his presence would be in prayer, and his presence would be on the preaching, and on the teaching, and on his word, and that it would be a non-stop experience of his presence, but with different manifestations, right? You may not experience it quite the same way in teaching, but there would actually be a release of his presence, because I know for me that he has convicted me and said, you you could be releasing presence when you spoke, but you're not because you're putting your points and your teachings above me. Be like a sail in the wind and just move. And I go, oh, you're right. It's not supposed to stop. It's supposed to be a seamless place in his kingdom. And now it'll look different. But so I imagine to you, it's kind of like when you go into a, a movie theater and you sit down for a movie and let's say it's about Superman, right? When you sit in the movie, even if Superman is not currently on the screen, what's the movie about? It's about Superman. So your mind is actually 100% constantly focused on the person of Superman, even if he's not on every frame of the screen. And that's your focus. You're consciously pursuing the story of Superman in this place. And so when you come into this place, the presence of God, Holy Spirit, 
is the number one thing. And even though some of the frames may change and, and, and different parts of the story may happen, this is all actually about the presence of God. And by us encountering it in such a way that it would ignite the kingdom and all these other things would come throughout every other time. Because I truly believe also that, you know, in our study that we did in the book of Revelation really um, cemented the importance of the ecclesia, the government, the, the senate, the, the body of Christ and its importance. Because it shows that even Jesus recognized the churches and he said that the leaders were the stars in his hands. And so there's a certain measure of government and leadership and importance that's recognized in heaven. And that's pretty interesting to me. And the importance of what we're doing here is that when we gather together, heaven actually recognizes it. It shows up on the map. Yes, two, where two or three are gathered, there I am. He's always going to be with you. But he manifests differently in different situations, and I believe there is a truly powerful heavenly encounter that's happening, and that heaven wants to meet you in this place. And sometimes even people that are not ready to encounter the reality of what they're about to are going to when they step in because we've paid the price already. I don't know if that makes sense at all, but... Maybe. I don't know. Um, and maybe what I'm going to talk about tonight will help us in that. But that's kind of like, I'm going, I, I think this is supposed to be a more of a relational exchange than we make it. We make it like a like a like going to work. All right, you go, you sing the songs, you read the Bible, and then you, you know, pray and you go. And I'm like, I, I I look at the word and I look at the power of the relationship that's happening here. And it's kind of like, all right, you have a relationship every single day of the week with him, but then on this certain time when you gather with other fire starters in your area, that this is a new relational exchange that is happening that is powerful. And that you may be going, you know, I'm going to start, I'm going to start Bible studies and I'm going to start doing these things and I'm going to start discipling these people. And I'm going, you need fire of the kingdom to make those things to begin to happen. Like I go, all right, I'm going to teach the people Bible. Well, that's great. But I want people's lives to be radically transformed. And I need something more than just what I can give them. I need Holy Spirit and his kingdom to be made first and all of these things. And I believe that all of these things will follow. And that's kind of what we make, is that this is a giant war cry for the kingdom of God to come into the earth as a joint corporate people. Anyways, that's enough talking to that stuff. Um, oh, man. So I'm just going to tell you, Take a moment here. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you something. I uh, man, the Holy Spirit has been teaching me like crazy, and I don't know if I fully understand everything, but it's good. And I'll, I'll just kind of share with you. I don't remember. I was I don't know a couple weeks ago or last week, a couple weeks ago. I don't remember what it was. Doesn't really matter what it was. I was driving home from work, 
And I was sitting there just kind of daydreaming. And then the Holy Spirit started speaking to me. And he said, why do you think in the Bible that Paul and in especially uh, in Acts, Paul says it. And then it said many other times that the spirit is called the spirit of Jesus. And I, I was like, I don't really know. That's kind of strange. The spirit of Jesus. And I'm like, you're right. It does say that. And I'm like, it was Holy Spirit. So what? And, you know, in an Acts, I don't remember where it is. Uh, I didn't write that down. I just, this is, I was reading an Acts, and I think it's in the later part, maybe somewhere, that Paul is talking about their journeys and their missionary journeys. And at one point, he says, we want to go here, but the Spirit of Jesus kept us from going there. And I thought, well, why didn't you say Holy Spirit? Because you know his name. Did you call him Spirit of Jesus? And then other times throughout the scriptures, it says that, you know, the Spirit of Jesus and so I started researching this and I started uh, reading into it and, and, and trying to figure out what this means. And, you know, and at first as I was sitting there thinking, I'm like, okay, you know, it's the ladder of connection to him is that this Holy Spirit says that, you know, he's going to reveal and remind us of all of the truth. You know, Jesus said, I'm going to send you a, a person. And he says, you know, he's going to remind you of all truth and everything that I've said to you. And I'm like, okay, so Holy Spirit's going to bring us to the relationship of Jesus. He's going to remind us of that. He's going to reveal the person of Jesus. And then Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus, he's going to be revealing Jesus to us. And then Jesus is going to reveal the Father to us. But there's something more to that. There's something much more powerful than that. Because we kind of make, oh, yeah, we make the Godhead and we make, oh, God most important. And then Jesus, like, you know, pretty close. And then Holy Spirit's down here. But then what the word is saying is that he's the spirit of Jesus. And Jesus is saying, all that I am, he's going to be that to you. And short of the story is, uh, Holy Spirit led me to listen to a sermon actually um, from Damon Thompson, and I haven't listened to him in years. Uh, but I was, he was like, you better listen to this particular sermon. And I listened to it, and the, ver the very first thing he says is, let's talk about the spirit of Jesus. And I went, okay, I'm listening. <laughs> and so some of that is borrowed from that just because it was just, it wasn't really new to me. It was just confirming what he was already saying the last few months. But... Um, so let me, just, let me just walk you through this a little bit. And then we're going to open our Bibles and we're going to get into it. And I mentioned this before, is that Jesus came to this earth, right? And he lived as a carpenter for 30 years. And then one day, he, he goes out and he gets baptized by John. And then it says that the heavens rent, ripped apart, and the Holy Spirit comes upon him like a dove. And it says, and it rests upon him, and it doesn't lift. This is the first time in history that the Holy Spirit came upon a person and didn't leave them. And it was then from that place, he goes into the desert and is able to overcome every temptation that the devil can throw at him. And then it says from that point, he goes and he begins to preach the gospel of the kingdom. 
Because if the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, guess what happened when the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus? The kingdom came upon him. And it was then and only then after 30 years that he said, I can now preach the gospel of the kingdom because the kingdom is now upon me. He was God fully, but he also was fully man, fully empowered by the Holy Spirit. He says, I do everything by the promptings of the Holy Spirit. I don't do anything unless the Father tells me to do it. I only do what I hear, say what my Father is saying. And it was at that point that he goes, the kingdom is now here. I'm going to go preach the kingdom of God. And he even tells people, the kingdom is now at hand. You can touch it because he was there. Right? And then, and then we go through and, oh, where should I begin? That's the importance of the kingdom, that it was the Holy Spirit. And then, and, oh man, I'm, John 16, verse 16. 16, 16, it's pretty easy. Now, as you're turning there, verse 16, 16. I'm, uh, I'm going to read out of the Passion Translation, mostly because it makes religious demons manifest. Um, so I'll, I'll even read 15. But there's, it's the very end. And yours probably won't have it because of the Greek wording, but I'll explain it. And I have actually said this before. In 15, it says, everything that belongs to the Father belongs to me, Jesus. That's why I say that the divine encourager will receive what is mine and will reveal it to you. In verse 16, you won't see me any longer, but then after a while, you will see me in a new way. Now, um, Jesus used two different Greek words for the word see, S-E-E, right? In this verse. So he says, you know, you won't see me any longer, right? That's a different Greek word for see. And I, I don't even try to pronounce them or say them, but you can look it up in the Strong's I did. And that, that you, don't, you won't see me any longer, okay? But then he says, then you will see me in a new way. And it's a different Greek word for see. That means what he's saying is, you're gonna see me this way right now, but in a little while, you're going to see me again. And that's why they put in a new way because it's gonna look differently because I use two different words for see. And so if the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit, or a.k.a. the Spirit of Jesus, was poured out, guess what happens when the apostles remembered his words of, you, won't, you will no longer see me because I'm going to die and then I'm going to go into heaven, but then you will see me in a new way. And so when they... When Pentecost happened, he's saying, here I am, I'm back. But now 
I'm inside of you. And I'm everywhere. And so you can imagine the apostles going, see you, I won't see you this way, but I'll see you in a different way. And then on the day of Pentecost, they go, whoa, it's Jesus. He's here, but now he's coming out of us and he's everywhere. And this is incredible. And also, this is an interesting thing. Do with this as you may. But in the patristic mind, which patristic just means it's the the early church fathers between 100 AD and 450 AD, the patristic period. So the patristic fathers viewed Pentecost as the second coming of Jesus. That was their theology. The early church fathers, that John probably died around 100 AD, and the early church fathers all went, yeah, the second coming of Jesus was Pentecost. That was the patristic mind. Just... I'm not, I mean, I still believe, I mean, Jesus is coming back, but it's, a, you know, they, they viewed Holy Spirit and the person of Jesus so closely joined that they said, yeah, that's when he came back to earth is when the Holy Spirit came upon us. That's how real Jesus was to them. And that's how real the Holy Spirit indwelling them was and how powerful it was is that they're saying everything that Jesus is, is now in the Holy Spirit and he's inside of us. It is Jesus. This literally is the person of Jesus being revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. This is incredibly powerful for them. And so I want you to take this just a little bit here, is that I think we have westernized the person of the Holy Spirit. Think about it. All right. What I mean by that is westernized is, you know, we're over here in the West in America and Jesus was over there in the East in Israel. (laughs) And they thought differently, acted differently, and many things were different. They had different perspectives. But, you know, I've got a beef with people. And that is when people say, well, the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. Oh, everybody just, what? (laughs) Because think about it. What is gentleman based around? That is a Western English man's definition of a person. A gentleman, oh, they dress a certain way and they're very proper and they, you know, they're very, oh, they're very nice and they're, you know, that's an English person's thinking. You see what I'm saying? Is that it's an English person's thinking. Don't say, oh, he's a gentleman. Say, He's Jesus, look at the Bible, and that's who you're going to get when you interact with Holy Spirit. That means if Holy Spirit needs to come into your life and throw tables and chase you with a whip, he will. It's the spirit of Jesus. Jesus is perfect theology. So what I'm saying, I got to stand for this. So what I'm saying is, is that Holy Spirit is going to act just like Jesus, And you know, when it describes Jesus in Revelation, he looks at you and he has eyes burning with fire of passion for you. So I would say this, a better definition is not Holy Spirit is a gentleman. That's a dumb way of thinking about it. But Holy Spirit is a passionate lover. And a passionate lover will do some amazing things. They will break down doors. They will get in the way of things. They will fight for you no matter what. 
A passionate lover is not easily offended. They actually stick around for a long time and are very patient with you. The fruit of the Spirit, yes, is gentleness, but Jesus was also gentle and very passionate at the same time. Jesus wept over people. Jesus called Pharisees very stern things all at the same time. He was extremely straightforward and yet so loving and tender. I think that's a better definition. I don't, if you say the Holy Spirit is a gentleman around me again, <laughs> I'm going to be, we're going to have some issues because I'm going, no, he's not a gentleman. If he needs to put you on the floor and shake you for a few days, he will because he says, I love you. Get out of this. Stop believing that. That's a bunch of crock. Oh, a gentleman doesn't do that. You know what? I've seen the Holy Spirit move and it's not very gentleman-like. <laughs> but it is very loving and it's very passionate. And it's never going to be bad and it's never going to bring bad things. But it can be very, very expressive. That's the Holy Spirit. Because it's the Spirit of Jesus. Along with the Spirit of Jesus is we go, oh, well, God is, you know, God, whoa. And then, you know, Jesus, he's Yeshua, whoa. And then Holy Spirit's like a nice feeling. And he like, you know, brings good things and goosebumps and, you know, and he leads you like a gentle breeze. And I'm going, he's Lord. The, uh, uh, in, in 2 Corinthians 3, 17, it's the verse that says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But a good definition of that is actually where the Spirit is Lord, there is freedom. It is actually when in the place that we put the Holy Spirit above just a gentle wind, above just a little gentleman, but actually at the same rank and level of God and Jesus, then freedom comes to you because you've put him at his proper standing. Is he is Lord and it, the reason it says in 2 Corinthians there, he says, now, he's, it's funny when you read it. You know, Paul goes, okay, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And the spirit as the Lord is Holy Spirit. He explains to you who he's talking about because he knows that there's multiple lords. Lord Jesus, Lord God, and Lord Holy Spirit. They're all Lord, which is the word is Yahweh. So, it's not, he's not a lesser than, he's not the third person of the Holy Spirit, of the third lesser person. They are actually one. So Holy Spirit, we need to redefine who he is and we need to put some more respect on him and we need to say, this is Yahweh spirit. This is Jesus spirit. So that's Holy Spirit. Now, Let's get to the fun one. I want you to turn over to uh, John 14, verse 16. And again, I'm going to read in the Passion Translation because it makes demonic spirits manifest. <laughs> I want to just... Um, John... What did I say? 14, 16. Yep. Oh, it's the next page over. Uh, 
All right. I said 16, but I think it's 15. Oh, no, it is. Never mind. Don't listen to me. Okay, so <clears throat> I want you to... I, I don't have time right now, but I, I just... I, I was... I start reading the Bible right now, and I can't stop because I read 14, and then I went to John 15, and then I went to 16, and you would be just incredibly surprised at how many times Jesus mentions that Holy Spirit's coming. Like, just go through there, take some time, and, and, and watch how many times he mentions him. This is right before he goes to the cross. So he's trying to get the most important things across. And he's, he's telling his disciples, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die, I'm going to go away, all these things like that. And, and, but then he says, but I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And he just keeps, and then they ask him a question of, well, you know, why, why don't you reveal yourself to other people? And not just us. And then he goes, all right. And he goes on this big explanation. And then he says, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And that's just his answer every single time. It's okay. I'm sending Holy Spirit. Like that was the most important th thing to them to understand that it's okay. I'm coming again in a new way. This is what it's going to look like. This is, this is what I'm doing. They didn't understand it. They were looking for a, you know, a kingdom on earth. And he was saying, I'm about to release the heavenly kingdom onto this place. But so I'm going to start in verse 15. This is John 14, verse 15. It says, Loving me empowers you to obey my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another. I'm, I have to read it into this translation. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another Savior, the Holy Spirit of truth, who will be a friend just like me, and he will never leave you. The world won't receive him because they don't see him or know him, but you will know him intimately because he will make his home in you and will live inside of you. Verse 18, I promise that I will never leave you helpless or abandoned or as orphans. I will come back to you. So, okay, that word, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another is often translated helper, encourager, um, comforter, all these things. But that is not, uh, those are good translations, but maybe not 100% complete. Let's just say that. Let me read you Dr. Simmons's footnote on this because it explains it and puts it in very good words. So listen closely. The Greek word used here is parakletos, a technical word that could be translated as defense attorney. It means one called to stand next to you as a helper. Various translations have rendered this counselor, comforter, advocate, encourager, intercessor, or helper. However, none of these words alone are adequate and fall short in explaining the full meaning. The, tra uh, the full meaning. The translator has chosen the word savior. For it depicts the role of the Holy Spirit to protect, defend, and save us from ourself and our enemies, and to keep us whole and healed. He is the one who guides and defends, comforts and consoles. Keep in mind that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, our Savior. The Aramaic word, uh, paraleta, which is taken from two root words, Prac, to end, finish, or save, 
and Leta, which means the curse in our lives and to save us from its every effect. Paracleta means a redeemer who ends the curse. And then he gives the different strongs so you can research that. So I know that was a little bit wordy, but I want you to realize what he's saying. Now, what I'm not saying is, is that Jesus is not enough, right? Jesus finished everything. Jesus paid for everything. Jesus ended the curse, all right? You can't get any more saved with Jesus, right? But the word is another savior, one who finishes the curse in you. Jesus is saying, I done wrote the check. And Holy Spirit's now going to come and he's going to cash the check in you. He is going to finish the curse in you. So, in uh, think about this. Bear with me. I know you're, you're working, but you're working really good. Romans 8, verse 19. You will know this verse. In different translations, say it different ways. But it says that all of creation is standing on tiptoe awaiting for the sons of God to be revealed. Think about that. Jesus paid the price for you, for sin. Jesus ended the curse. But now creation is waiting for you to end the curse so that it can be set free. The, the, way, the way I've heard it said, which is so well, is that the whole cosmos is now waiting to be set free. Cre think about that verse. Creation is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. This is after Jesus paid for everything. Amen. That's saying that Jesus paid for everything, but now Jesus has come again as the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, and he's living inside of you, and he's going to even finish the curse across the universe. And that the whole creation is now groaning because it wants to be set free. And it can only be set free when the sons of God realize who they are. So that means Jesus takes away. Jesus paid it all. But he's saying, Holy Spirit's going to go, I'm going to finish it. And it... That, you look across the whole Bible and you see constantly that Jesus is saying, I'm going to redeem the world. I'm going to bring new life to everything. And he's going to do it in you. And when you, but think about this. This is not you trying to work yourself up enough. This is not you trying to live according to religious rules and things. This is you getting unveiled as the sons and daughters of God, that is what's going to finish the earth across, uh, finish the curse across the cosmos. Because when you get a revelation of kingdom inside of you, it's not, but it's okay. It's okay. We're going to work on it. We're going to work on it. It's all good.
Let's go. We're going to keep working on it. I'm not giving up on y'all. <laughs> Romans 8, verses uh, 15 through 16. Let's go there. Ver, uh, Romans 8, verses 15 through 16. I may start. I'm going to start in 14 just because I like it. All right. Again, I'm reading into the Passion Translation. Because everyone's like, because what? No. This makes religious demons manifest. All right. Listen. The mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. Listen, this is, and you did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. But you have received the spirit of, yours will say adoption. This one says full acceptance, enfolding you into the family of God. And you will never feel orphaned, for as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in the words of tender affection, Abba, Father. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. Let me just stop right there because there's a lot. So you did not receive, oh man, there's so much. Let, let me, let me kind of like hop to the end of this so that we can explain the beginning. He says, you know, you have received the spirit of adoption, the spirit of full acceptance and folding you into the, And it says, for as he, this is the spirit, rises up within us, our spirits join him in the words of tender affection, beloved father. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us. As he whispers into your innermost being, you are God's beloved child. So Jesus, the spirit of Jesus said, I'm coming in to live inside of you. And now Paul is saying, the savior that finishes the curse in you, how does he finish the curse in you? He rises up within you and he makes the fatherhood of God real to you. So much so that your spirit rises up and says, Daddy, I am your child. From the fall of man, we all became orphans. And we're running around as little orphans with no family, with no father, with no power, with no life. We have to fight for ourselves. We have to do everything in our own strength. We have to try to make it all happen. And the reality is that we have a father that deeply loves us and cares for us and wants to lavish his love upon us. So much so that creation wakes up and says that is a child of a heavenly being. That is a child from another realm. That is why I'm mourning. But it is the Holy Spirit the Lord, Yahweh, inside of you that's going to reveal to you how childlike you are. And it's going to reveal to you the fatherhood that you have now been brought into. Creation is waiting for the sons of God. 
And Holy Spirit makes your sonship real and the fatherhood true. But I, I want you to think about this. In the beginning of this verse, it says, And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. Whew, that made the mic pop. Think about this. You have three, we have three choices. We have three kingdoms that you can live in. When you were lost, an orphan, destined, and vanquished in your sin, you were in the kingdom of death, bound to the law of your sin and flesh, right? You're dead. And you know what? You know how that kingdom operates? It operates on fear. That's how the kingdom operates. You can never be good enough to be saved. You can never be good enough to be holy. You're a wretched person. You're a lost child and you can never earn it. And that's what it's like. So it, it, that kingdom runs on fear. That kingdom runs on manipulation. That kingdom runs on punishment. You mess up, you get punished for it right? That's what that kingdom lives in. But then there's another kingdom, and that is the kingdom of religious duty. Because he says, you, did not be, you were not given a spirit of religious duty leading you back into the fear of never getting good enough. That means that when you were lost, you were living here, and you were in fear, and you could never be good enough. You could never be holy and so you're living in this fear. But what he wants you to do is realize that here's the kingdom. And as it comes over inside, the kingdom is in the Holy Spirit. And it now, when the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, he says, you are a child of God. And the beloved father is looking at you with no condemnation. It says there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And he was saying that we are not under the law anymore because the law was inferior because it brought death. But he is saying you are now under the law of love and the spirit. And where the spirit is Lord, there is freedom. That means he says, when you get out of the fear and get out of your damnation, anyways, I just like that word, but um, you get out of that and you get into the kingdom of life. And that is where the spirit is. And when the spirit is Lord, not even the law. The law can only show you your sin. It cannot set you free from your sin. So if you make the law your Lord, then you will never be good enough. But when you make the spirit your Lord, he gives you freedom. And so you're now in the place when you make the Holy Spirit your Lord, he's going to lead you in the ways of righteousness. Because the Holy Spirit's greater than the law. Because the law said, don't commit adultery. But the Spirit says, don't even look at a woman with lust. The Spirit, the law of the Spirit is greater than the law of Moses. Because the law of Moses said, well, don't commit murder. But the law of Spirit says, don't even hate people. So which would you rather submit yourself to? But here's the problem. We have a middle ground that doesn't get rid of the fear of punishment. 
We have a middle ground that keeps you in the fear of never being good enough. And that is where you do things for God out of religious duty, but you don't actually know that you're a child. The two things are happening is over here, you're an orphan. You're an orphan. You ain't got nothing. And you know what? Over here in religious duty, you're trying to earn it, but you're still an orphan. But then over here in the spirit, you're a child and you're free and you're not condemned and you're empowered to change. But the problem is, what do we have? What happens so often is that people go, well, we can't, we can't switch over to grace because if people don't have the law, they're not going to obey anything. They're going to be terrible people. How are we going to control anyone? How are we going to keep them to be good? Think about it. Over here, you're just a terrible person, right? Maybe you try to do your best you can, right? But then, okay, you're saved now. You did, you, now you're not going to burn in hell, right? You said a prayer so you could just not burn in hell, which that's not the point. Eternal life is to know him. That's what the word says. But now that you're here and now that you're a Christian, they look at you and they go, well, you are a mess. And you've got a lot of bad habits. How am I going to keep you from living like this? Because the law showed you all the ways that you mess up. And at least that's a good guideline for us. But grace said that there's no condemnation. And grace says you're free. And they're going, well, that doesn't work. So they're like, we've got to keep a little bit of fear. We've got to keep enough punishment to keep people from doing bad things. We've got to control people just enough so they can be good Christians. And so what we do is, is we just move over into doing actions. You got to say these prayers. You got to do these things. You got to be kind of nice to people and stuff like that. And if you mess up, oh, you're done, bro. You are a terrible person. You get punished and it's fear. And so you live in this place of, I've got to do these things. I've got to read the word. I've got to pray. I've got to do all this stuff so that I'm good enough because I'm afraid I'm not going to be good enough. But even Paul says, the law can't bring life. And there's a greater glory that was released when the spirit was released. Did you know the day that the law was released, 3,000 people died? Did you know when the Holy Spirit came? 3,000 people got saved. What a prophetic picture that the law brought death, but the spirit was going to bring life. And so what is that third option? It is when we make Holy Spirit Lord over our life and we say everything is based upon my relationship with you. And you are led, you are a mature child, you are led by the spirit. And if you are actually going to be led by the Spirit, he's going to say, uh, don't look at those pictures that long when you're scrolling on Facebook. Law can't make you stop doing that. Law says, oh, well, don't, don't, don't cheat on your wife. And we're going to be like, if you cheat on your wife, you're kicked out of the church. But the Spirit is saying, don't linger that long on that picture on Facebook or Instagram of that woman that's not, not even naked, but just a little bit, eh. The law can't make you do that. Shame can't make you do that. Fear can't make you do that because nobody's looking over your shoulder. Here's the problem. Is fear and punishment, there has to be somebody looking over your shoulder to punish you every time you mess up. But the Holy Spirit says, I'm not going to condemn you. I'm going to say, 
Are you going to follow me or not? Because as soon as you disobey, then we break connection and we don't have relationship anymore. And when you do that, you go, I'm going to repent because I don't want to live without you. And I am sorry. Let me come back into relationship with you. And so the Holy Spirit is greater than the law because it's going to be with you every moment. It's written on your heart now. And so when you're scrolling and you see those things or when you just want to, you know, say that little thing or when you're thinking in your thoughts about the person that just walked out of the store, the law would say, don't, don't shoot that person as they walk out of the store. <laughs> oh, I didn't like that person. But the Spirit... When he is Lord in our life, he says, don't think that about that person. Pray for that person. And so, so the Holy Spirit doesn't come to condemn you. The Holy Spirit comes to make you alive. The Holy Spirit comes to convict you of your sin, saying, that's sin. Don't do it. You're a child of God. And you can either obey or not. And then you've got your own problems because now... You've just stepped out of relationship with the Godhead. You just got kicked out of the garden place that you were in. But thank God that there's repentance. And repentance is when, oh, wow, I messed up. I want you back, Holy Spirit. I want you here. I want peace. So religious duty and bondage, he's saying don't go back to that. And I, oh, man, go read Galatians Just start in like Galatians 3 and just read. Because Paul is telling them, here's what's so cool. We probably don't have time tonight. We're probably going to be talking on this for a while. (laughs) So we'll get to it. But Galatians 4 and Romans 8 are almost exact mirrors of each other. They say the exact same thing. But you read Galatians and Paul is so adamant. He's going, he's telling the Galatians, he says, who's dumbfounded you people? He says, was all of the work that I did with you for nothing? Because now you're just going back into this religious stuff that you're totally free from. You don't have to follow. And he lists off everything. He says, you don't have to follow feasts and new moons and all these things. He's saying, you just have to follow Holy Spirit now. And he is saying, is everything I did for you worthless? Because he's saying, why are you going back into bondage? You were in bondage when you were lost. And then you got free in the kingdom. But then somebody came along and said, oh, well, you're not. You're not. You can't do that. You got to follow these things. And Paul is saying, what has happened to you? Are you not children of God? Because if you're a true child of God, you're going to be led by the Spirit. Then you're not going to be doing these sinful things. Because he says, this isn't freedom so that you can sin. This is power so that you can live free and not be stuck in this stuff anymore. There's no condemnation in Christ because he's not here to condemn you. He's here to bring you to life that you can be free. So, praise God. Um, there's so much. Like I said, there's so much. And I can only do so much. But... I just, it's so powerful, guys. Jesus waited until the Holy Spirit came before he preached the kingdom. And then he said, boy, you're going to see me again, but it's going to look totally different and it's going to be so great. And he said, I'm going to send somebody 
I'm going to send somebody that's going to set you free. I'm going to send somebody that's going to finish the curse in this earth that we are going to redeem the whole world and we're going to transform. We are going to create a people. We're going to create a new generation. We're going to create a whole new being on the earth now. And that it's the glory of the Lord is now going to permeate the whole cosmos because of these people. I've heard it said that Jesus, I, I don't know how I said it. It's, it's said really well. Um, Jesus frees us from the guilt of sin. Holy Spirit frees us from the government of sin. Well, nobody got it, but it's okay. <laughs> Jesus frees us from the guilt of sin. The Holy Spirit frees us from the government of sin. Because, you know, in Romans 6, it says that sin ruled in your body like a governmental ruler, that you were bound to sin. But now... Holy Spirit comes in your life and he breaks the entire government of sin over you and that it doesn't have to rule in your body because now you are dead and you're alive in Christ and that you can be made new. He takes away the whole power of him over you. I love, I love this. I'll try to wrap it up, but I love this, that Jesus said, came declaring the kingdom and every time he described the kingdom, it was totally opposite from what people saw the kingdom of, these, of this world look like. It was the upside, upside down kingdom. It, was a, it wasn't just the gospel of salvation so you don't burn in hell. It was actually the gospel of the kingdom that it's coming to live inside of your life and that now the whole world is going to recognize that the sons of God have been released upon the earth. And that this kingdom is now going to rule and reign. That a new heavens and a new earth is about to be created. And that is that the people are going to rule as God's children. And that he's saying this is the gospel of the kingdom. There's a whole new government, a whole new reality, a whole new world that's coming. And the Holy Spirit is the person of that government. That Jesus says, you're now sinless, you're guiltless. And then Jesus is now, and now Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to take the consciousness of that guilt and get rid of it. He's going to now bring you into a new government and a way of living that you live differently. We're going to talk about this for more. We're going to work on it. But... Who, who do you think knows Jesus better, Holy Spirit or the Bible? It's Holy Spirit. This, this is not a conclusive revelation. I'm not saying you have to add anything to Scripture or anything like that. I'm just saying that we need to seek Holy Spirit. We need to make him Lord. We need to put him as Yahweh. And when he comes into our life, He's going to kick the spirit of <laughs> a lot of different spirits, actually. <laughs> he's going to kick the spirit of religion out of us because he won't live with that. And he's not going to let you live like an orphan anymore. 
One of the reasons we have to live in religious things of trying to do things so that we please God is because we feel as if we're orphans. And the reality is that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he's going to say, you're not an orphan anymore. Father God is real and he is yours. And this, uh, this is the last thing that I want to say. This is what I will end with. I believe that it is not doctrinal statements that is going to make this happen, but this is going to be real, tangible revelation between you and Holy Spirit. The problem, and I will take the blame for this as as a teacher, is that as teachers, we're trying to get people to repeat words, but we're not getting people to live in revelation. If you can just repeat the word, God is my father, but you don't live as if God is your father, then it's not true. He said, if you say that you love God, but that you don't love your brother, you're a liar. And I think as teachers in the church, we have made our congregation liars to the world. Because we have said, repeat this prayer, say that you love God, but then don't live like it. And we lie every single day of our life. But if we will say, I see that you're starting to act and live like a child, (gasps) that's the spirit rising up inside of you. And I encourage that and I bless that because you're getting a revelation and you're becoming a child of God. And now creation is waking up and creation is coming alive that you are seeing who you are. And then we would no longer create liars on the earth, but we would create revealers of goodness. So I'm not asking you tonight, and I'm, I'm desperately pleading with you, do not take what I say and turn it into a doctrinal thing that you just repeat. It's not... It says when the Holy Spirit is inside of you, it rises up in your spirit And as I was praying for you in the throne room that you would get the fiery, burning passion of the Lord inside you, it was that spirit. He didn't say, if you can get people to repeat a doctrinal word, then we'll change the world. He said, no, if you can get a spirit inside of them, you can change the world. And I'm telling you, when something begins to burn inside of your spirit so deep, that your very flesh begins to fade away is the moment that childhood becomes real. I read Romans 8, that verse, that the true children of God are those moved by the promptings of the Holy Spirit, but you did not receive the spirit of religious duty leading you back into bondage of never being good enough, but you have received the spirit of full acceptance enfolding you into the family of God. And you will never feel orphaned again. There goes the orphan spirit. But as the spirit rises up within us, our spirit meets him and joins him in the words of beloved affection, Father God. For the Holy Spirit makes the Father God, fatherhood of God real to us. And when I read that verse, I said, that's what happened to me in the pool in Georgia. I said, that's what happened to me. I felt it happened to me. I got baptized in Georgia. 
And something hit me in that water that they had to hold me up because I couldn't stand. And there was a love so powerful and so real that when I got out of it, it wouldn't stop burning and it hasn't stopped burning in me. And it was that thing of, I am beloved child and I have a father and I want to know him. And it's so powerful and it's so real that I'm scrolling on Facebook and no longer is it, oh, I shouldn't do that. It's like, why would I do that? That's so dumb because now it's so real. And I, honest to God, believe that you all need an encounter in the same way. That you need to encounter the spirit of adoption because the spirit of orphanhood has ran you ragged your whole life. It's made you do religious things. It's made you do stupid things. It's made you fight for yourself. But when you become child, when you become beloved, that is when you become free. And I'm telling you, I, I told Desiree and Dad the other night, I said, I think we've misunderstood what baptism is. You know, we say, oh, well, baptism is a symbol and baptism is an expression that you serve Jesus. And I'm going, no, it's not. It says you've been buried with Christ and now you're raised with him in life and in resurrection power. When you say, Jesus, I want you to save me and, and fill me, you just got born again. But then when you get baptized, you're cutting the umbilical cord to the world and you're saying, I'm not going to live there anymore. And what you're saying is, I want to be baptized in Holy Spirit, dunked and immersed in Him. And when you get immersed in Holy Spirit, you're going to come up as a child fully adopted and the creation will say, holy cow, a son of God just hit the earth. <laughs> and I'm saying we have been baptizing people into the wrong thing. We need, I'm not saying that I'm, I baptism. The first one I had was very real. Okay. And it didn't, nothing was bad, whatever. It was great. And I, I'm not saying anything wrong with that. But what I am saying is, is we don't realize what's in happening when we do that. And I think if we will elevate Holy Spirit and say, I want to die to myself. I want to bend my back and become an altar of your fire. I want to be a living sacrifice every single day of my life so that I might become a child of God, that I would realize my sonship. And I'm saying, Holy Spirit, you meet me in there. And you change everything about me. I told some of you guys, I got a word that I'm supposed to start baptizing people. And I'm starting to think that this is maybe it. I'm starting to think that you need to get religious duty off of you and the freedom of the Spirit in you. I'm starting to think that we could change the cosmos if we would realize and let Father God rise up inside of us with the Holy Spirit. I'm starting to think people might look at you and go, holy cow, God is real because they walk as a son. I got... I'm sorry, I feel power on this. This last thing is, think about this. There's a person who's lost and there's a person who's stuck in religious duty. But when you walk by as a child of God, they're both going to look at you because that person who's religious is going to go, why, why do they walk as if they're a son of God? And that lost person is going to go, what, what, why do they walk as if they're adopted? 
And it'll shock both of them to see you live so free and so alive and so beautiful just because you're a child. Not because you get to work up all this stuff and you do all these good things and you're a nice religious person, but because you are a child. You walk down the street and the grass will turn its blades. <laughs> Holy snap. The trees are going to start clapping their hands. Oh! Creation's going to wake up and go, we better shake some foundations because there's a new kingdom and we can't live as dead anymore. Oh, there's so much more. I told you I had 15 hours. You didn't believe me. <laughs> We're going to preach the eternal word. I don't. Praise God. I don't. It's so simple. Think about it. It's so simple. Holy Spirit, you're Lord, you're everything. And anything you say goes. And I'm not going to settle for anything less than you. I could live that every day of my life. Instead of, oh man, I hope I'm doing this, I hope I'm doing that, I hope I, uh, I hope I, I hope I did this. I hope I did that. Holy Spirit, are we good? Are you? All right. Yeah, good. Cool. You could live that every day of your life. And I think that's the point. I think we're supposed to fall in love with him. And I think when people see that, that'll be pretty great. Kind of like, it's kind of like, well, why, why do you stay up half the night on your face? Well, I'm in love. Oh, why, why do you, why do you not do this and do this and do all these things? Well, I'm in love. It's pretty easy to do that when I'm in love. Because I'm not a child wandering around looking for someone to love me. I'm adopted. The thing is this, is it is so free, I think it scares us. It will scare us how free the Holy Spirit wants to make us. Because we're so used to using things to control ourselves and to control other people because we haven't made Holy Spirit Lord So then they start sinning. So then we start have to use our own tools to keep them from sinning. In reality, is Holy Spirit Lord? Why are you living as if he's not Lord? Why did they kick people out of the church? Was it because they were sinning or was it because the sin was showing that Holy Spirit was not Lord? It wasn't about the sin. It's about who's Lord. 
because that's the most important thing. Glory to God. Oh, I told you we're going to shake some foundations because he's been shaking my foundations. He's been shaking me, man. He's been rewriting everything for me. And I've just... Hallelujah. Let me tell you something else. Last thing and then I'll pray. I'll let you go. Probably not, but I'm just kind of, you know, putting that carrot in front of you. Francois Dupont, who made the Mirror Study Bible, translates that same word as you saw, Holy Spirit. Not as helper, not as comforter, but he translated it as closer than your breath. Closest proximity to you. It wasn't helper. It wasn't comforter that you're feeling sad today. It was, I'm going to be so close to you that there ain't nobody closer than me. Jesus said, I'm going to send my closer than your breath, closest proximity. I'm going to be so close to you. There ain't going to be no family member. There ain't going to be no spouse. There ain't going to be nobody closer than me to you. He said, I'm going to send my spirit and it's face to face. When he says that I and my father are one in the beginning, it means they were face to face. And then he says, Father, I ask that they would be one with us as we are one with each other, that they would be face to face to us. And he says, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he's going to be so close. Your breath is farther away than he is. You need to rewrite your picture of Holy Spirit. He ain't wind. He's so close to you. The incredible Yahweh God that made Moses's face glow is now closer to you than your very breath. Imagine how much glory is now inside of you. And it says that the old covenant, there was a glory released when it came. But now when the Holy Spirit came, a greater glory. And that greater glory lives inside of you. I'm sorry, but you're going to have to change your belief of what it looks like to live. Because there's a glory inside of you so big. The creation's groaning that you'll get it. Can you imagine? I got dandelions in my front yard. Those dandelions wake up every day and look over at the other dude who's turned white. And he says, bro, I hope those people get it today. There's so much glory on them. It's going to make all of us just poof white instantly. <laughs> Creation sitting there going, God, God, let them get it. You ever groaned so hard you bent over? Oh, geez, I'm going to die. And you know what? 
That's what it's saying. It's creation's literally saying, I'm going to die. Because it says that when Adam sinned, that all of creation was thrown into death. And so it's literally saying, oh, Lord, send the children of God. We're going to die. Creation's groaning for you. There's a whole cloud of witnesses watching you going, get it, get it. And then there's all of creation saying, get it, get it. There's a lot hanging on the line here. And you're going to go home and you're going to watch stupid TV shows. <laughs> and creation's going, no, I'm going to die. And they're watching cops. You know, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> Lone Star Law, yeah. They canceled cops. <laughs> creation going, come on. But can you imagine what creation does when you come in here and you get on your face and you say, Holy Spirit, burn me up. I just, I tell you, I see this house. I just see a stack of bodies. It's kind of morbid, but I love it. I see a stack of bodies. And that bodies is where he built his throne. It's where people said, I'll die for it. And when he sees these dead bodies stacked up, he goes, oh yeah. I'm going to let my glory come. <laughs>